Okay, folks, here we are in with episode 19 of the Silly Goose Gang podcast. And joining us tonight, we have Robin Dreek, uh, the former head of the FBI Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program. Robin, welcome along to the show. <laughs> hey, thanks, guys. Uh, as we were chatting beforehand, I'm excited to be here just so I can listen to you all talk because <laughs> I sound so much boring compared to you all. <laughs> we just think we, we've decided, me and Chris have decided that. 2020 is definitely broken because the amount of people that have been willing to come on and talk to two daft Scottish guys on our podcast has completely blown our mind. And when I've been telling people who we had on tonight, they were like, how did you manage that? And I was a little bit, because obviously your, your specialization is kind of prediction of your human behavior. And I've genuinely decided that I always put in any invite when I'm sending it out, particularly to people that are non-Scottish. I always say, if you fancy jumping on with two Scottish guys, because I'm hoping that's the hook. Because yeah, I would imagine someone like yourself, you must get asked on podcasts all the time. Sure. And it tends yeah. to probably be fellow Americans like yourself talking about mm -hmm. things. And I, me and Chris were saying we genuinely aren't sure if there's anyone from Scotland doing these kind of podcasts. No. And we were like, you know what, let's go for it. Two Scottish guys. It's a little bit different. And the amount of people that have said yes, me and Chris sometimes just sit and laugh. And you were definitely, wow. in the nicest way, you were one of these ones that I burst out laughing when you agreed. Because <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Yeah, but as much as it just seems so ridiculous that like me and Chris, two daft lads from Scotland, are currently sitting talking to the former head of the FBI analysis <laughs> program. So, the, the, but you did the greatest thing, you know, because again, I, I love human behavior. I love analyzing and I love trying to figure out why on things. And, you know, you used a great, like you said, you use a great hook, two Scottish guys and, and your, your podcast name, the silly goose, you know, podcast. I was like, that's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, uh. You know, especially, you know, because especially right now, you know, what a, what a serious world. Um, just, it, it's, yeah. it's so important, you know, the most important thing, uh, for health right now is get out and get vitamin D by being in sunshine and laughter, you know, have levity in your life, have the ability to um, laugh yourself, have the ability to laugh with others, uh, whether you can do it in person or remotely. Um, I've been looking forward to this all day. I mean, and, and actually since you've reached <laughs> out, I apologize for my delay in getting back to you. I, I, I just, I'm literally, I'm lazy. I just, I don't respond as fast as I should to email sometimes. Uh -huh. This, that's hilarious. So there's two things in there that are hilarious. Uh, number one, we don't get a lot of vitamin D in Scotland. That doesn't uh -huh. happen enough. That doesn't happen a whole heap. And number two, you've been looking forward to this. It just seems ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's, so, it's so silly. But, um, Why not? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, like you say, the world, the world's extremely serious at the minute. And um, the whole point of doing this with Ali was let's have some fun. Let's yeah. use our time um, creatively. Um, during lockdown and it's what you know so what you were saying before we started about um you know being in the fbi and stuff you know one thing that when you we've talked to quite a few academics and stuff now i've got another few lined up is that they're all human beings so you might be slightly intimidated because you know we were speaking to a, a professor um on tuesday night and you're a little intimidated you know as you know when you when you're going to speak to somebody from the fbi you go god almighty then you, you open it up and you go, ah, oh, oh, he's just, just a guy. He's just a person. Just like a me. human being. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yes. Yeah, yeah. like, you know. 
especially with my back, you know, it's so funny because people say, well, how did you get to run the, you know, be the chief of the behavioral analysis program for counterintelligence the FBI? I said, it's easy. I failed at everything else in life. I mean, it's literally just a job. <laughs> <laughs> my job is recruiting spies. Other people's job is, is to sell something. You know, I just literally, it just, everyone is, is literally so equal in life. You know, we have, you know, this is what makes human beings very predictable. You know, we all are seeking um, safety, security, and prosperity for ourselves and our loved ones. And we're all acting in our own best interest in terms of those things. And if you take the time to slow down, shut up, and pay attention to someone else as what they think is in their best interest, you now know what they're going to do. And if you have resources for them in terms of those things, um, you're going to have a relationship. So it really is, life is, it's, it's, it's you know, my, I, I talk to my son a lot. I have two kids. Uh, they're both um, pretty grown-ish um, and you know, you know, when I talk to this about with my son, he's like, oh man, it's like the matrix. You know, I stopped seeing the images. I start seeing the code behind everything. Cause when you start understanding human beings and really how we're hardwired, um, it's very, very easy to predict what each of us are going to do, um, on any given day. And, and it's not negative either. It's very, very positive because, um, yeah, and that's, you know, and just talking about the riots, you know, in the United States right now, without actually talking politics or anything behind it, it's easy. A majority of human beings, a high majority, like safety, security, and prosperity, you know, and they want to be feel safe and they want to be, you know, so anytime, you know, negative things happen during riots anywhere in the world, it's usually pretty short-lived because people do not like being uncomfortable very much at all. And they're going to get away from that as fast as possible. You know, they, they people want to feel heard and they want to be validated for their thoughts, emotions, and feelings. But at the end of the day, they want to feel safe and they do not like being uncomfortable. And things that are uncomfortable do end pretty rapidly over you know, a couple of days, weeks at most. So that's my message to everyone right now is just calm down, take deep breaths, listen to people, understand each other and be patient. It'll go away. Yeah, yeah I, I suppose it's true, isn't it? And I, I know we've, we find it over the last few years in Britain, particularly with you know, the, the Brexit, the Scottish independence, right. everything becomes very, very heated and very, I suppose the word I would use is tribal. People people gather into their own tribes of, if yep. you're not with me, you're automatically against me. Right. And one of the things that me and Chris have talked about is ideally reaching that, because th there's always a bit of common ground. You know, me and Chris are friends, but there's a lot of things we, we disagree on, you know, politically and other things. But there's enough stuff in the middle that okay, you've got your belief over here, I've got my belief over there, but in the middle, we've you know as we've said, we've we've made a podcast called the Silly Goose Gang. <laughs> you know, we can always reach that common ground of having a laugh and the the human side of it, you know, away from the tribalism of this is my stand here and that's right. your stand over there and keep that distance between them. Yeah, you know, so what I imagine you all do very well with each other is, you know, I have these four core things and, and kind of <clears throat> themes you build into everything you say and do in life, because these four things that each human being is seeking and craving. We are genetically and biologically coded to want to feel affiliated with meaningful groups and organizations and be valued by the same. And so the way you demonstrate that value and the way you demonstrate affiliation to others is because, again, that's that elusive obvious. This is what leadership is all about. This is where, you know, I failed in the Marine Corps as a leader, as a young leader, because I sucked. I was ranked last. You know, I'm asking my my mentors and guides what I need to do. And he goes, you just need to be a better leader. And it's like, well, how the hell do you do that? And this is it. If you do one of these four things and so reflect for yourself as you're listening, I guarantee you're doing this for each other, regardless of your differences and opinions from time to time or anything, you're. Number one, you're seeking each other's thoughts and opinions. 
because you only seek the thoughts and opinions of people that you want to affiliate with and you value. Second, you talk in terms of the other person's priorities, their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, and how they view prosperity from their point of view. Because you're, because if you're not talking in terms of the priorities of others, you're wasting your breath. Because human beings, we want to, to talk in terms of things that are important to us. Three, you validate each other without judging each other. So and this is really key and critical. So you can really differ on your thoughts and opinions on things, but when you validate someone, it means you're seeking to understand why they have a differing point of view without judging it. Now, you can banter back and forth and you can disagree, but the fact that you're seeking and you're curious about each other without judging each other, both verbally and non-verbally, demonstrates that, hey, I understand you. Because human beings don't necessarily need you to agree with them. They just want to feel heard and understood. And, and nothing's better exemplified right now than, than all the protests in the United States right now is people just want to feel heard. And the ones that are feel heard in the communities where the law enforcement is partnering with them and listening – there's no problems or issues because they're listening, they're validating. And finally, empower people with choices because you only give people choices that you want to affiliate with and that you value. And so, you know, so at the end of the day, you know, here's our options, you know, here's your choices. You know, you empower them with we can do A, B, or C. Meanwhile, you only offer people A, B, or C if A, B, or C is good for you as well. So if you include one of those four things in anything you say, anything you write, uh, in anything you do, the entire conversation shifts from the focus on you to the focus on them. And ultimately, that's what we're, each of us is seeking. We want the focus to be on us. And this is how you proactively do it. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. One of the things I like is um, the sort of the the need to belong. Um, mm. So we've, we've often said this, you know, like we said before, you know, we, we both do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu together. So I don't think, you know, I think these things to a large part, um, certainly in you know, Scotland, I'm, sure, I'm assuming worldwide, we they've sort of replaced the church. You know, people, you know, less sure. tense today in Scotland, you know, they've let, so people want to belong to something and this is now their church. So whether it's CrossFit, or, you know, it's Jiu-Jitsu or where you're playing, you know. I should hold up, I should hold, and I should hold up my CrossFit shirt. I'm a CrossFit guy. Oh, are you? <laughs> yeah. Ah, cool. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, it, but you're right. Because, you know, churches, you know, and that's what church is and religion is. It's community. You know, all yeah. these things are community. And, you know, and if you feel a sense of belonging and being valued in that community, um, it's amazing how far it'll take you, especially. And so here's the key with it. If you, if positive things happen in the community, in other words, your brain releases dopamine when, you're, when positive things are happening. Cause so here, here's a comparison and contrast. So say you're part of a negative hate group, granted that's a community and, and you have that sense of belonging, but the, the challenge with hate groups, and this is why they don't flourish more than they are. And this is why they keep falling apart. And that's why it's right now it'll, they'll keep falling apart. Because nothing else positive is going on in the brain. Hate, resentment, discontentment, all the negative emotions do not do anything positive in the brain whatsoever. And so it's, it's, a, it's a negative loop. I mean, it just it falls away because there's no reason to want to keep doing that. The only thing they're able to get out of it is that sense of community. And if that sense of community starts dispersing because there's no positive feeling, which it inevitably always does, it disperses. That's why you can do things, you know, like Australian jiu-jitsu, because I guarantee you, you know, it's it's a great community. It's it's people that build each other up. You feel great. You know, I see the smile on Ali's face when you just talk about it. You know, it's like, you know, it's positive emotions, positive energy, you know, and that's what binds people together, no matter whether it's you know, jinjitsu or whether, you know, it's being inside of organizations or CrossFit, you know, and each boxing CrossFit's different, you know, be, I'm a pilot, so it's a pilot community. So there's all these different little communities that make you feel welcomed and encouraged and valued. And that's what actually yeah. gets things moving in life. 
Yeah, super. Yeah, it's a really cool. Um, you know, I know. Uh, you know, I don't do. I, I might do CrossFit. I like to do a little bit of everything. Um, so I might do some CrossFit at some point. You know, I don't. I don't do a lot of Olympic lifting stuff, but um, you know, I've done some. You know, I've done uh, most years. I'll do Murph. You know, on uh, American Memorial Day, I've done Murph. Oh, the Murph, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really... Mine with my son, yeah. Yeah. It's a bone crusher. (laughs) Bloody awful, but um, yeah, it's a good one to do. But I like to see the community. There's a CrossFit club quite close to us. Um, And, you know, they're always sharing pictures on Instagram and stuff. And it just looks, you know, every time somebody gets a PB, you know, they're all high-fiving and cuddling. And yeah, it's just cool. Yeah. It's a cool environment to be in. Um, So, yeah, so what... um, well, I mean, have you have you done any competitions with the? Uh, I just I just do the opens, you know, and it's embarrassing. Okay. You know, I I got into CrossFit. I'm I'm in my fifties, and so I'm I'm the second oldest guy in my box. And during COVID, we did a lot of at home stuff, and so I I am I enjoy it. It's it's amazing That's... that I I used to I was an I was an endurance athlete for years doing ultra marathons okay. and stuff. And so kind of shifting as I got older and my body started breaking more and more, you know, it's the same reason I know a lot why you do jujitsu is because it's, it's whole body and same thing with CrossFit. And I didn't understand that at the beginning. And so when you start doing the Olympic lifting and you actually understand, wow, this is massive technique. And the thing I like about where I go is the coaching is phenomenal. I, you know, I've never had better coaching in my entire life. Um, and it's very personalized, you know, they, you know, just like anything in life, you know, when they, when they make it about you and they don't force you to be a 20 year old, like everyone else in there and they, you know, can accommodate, it's fantastic. And for a couple of years I've been doing it, not one injury. I'm, I'm dumbfounded by it because and that's all I heard about before. Oh, you're going to get injured and, and blah, blah, blah. And no, I've never been in better shape my entire life. It's crazy. Um, because again, healthy environment, healthy people. And there you go. Yeah, it's it's so true though. I, talking about the jujitsu that me and Chris go to, I've got children as well, Robin. Um, I've got two teenage sons and a a ten year old daughter. Um, and my oldest son went through a really rough patch, as often happens when you're a teenager. Sure. Um, and it was part of it was because he wasn't doing any real physical activity, um, because he doesn't play football, soccer, um, which is the main sport kind of in this in Scotland pretty much. Um, so because he didn't play soccer, there wasn't a huge amount of opportunities for him to do much else. Um, and a couple of years ago, I was like, look, we need to get you do get out of your brain a little bit, get back into your body. Right. Um, and the guys have all been great. And I think it's been good for him as well. Talking about that community and those, you know, the validation from it is seeing that none of the guys really treat me any different to anyone else. Right. You know, he's, he's part of the group. Um, yeah. And it's, it's definitely been good. And I know you were mentioning your son. Is that the, heard on a podcast, is it the Naval Academy that your son's at? Yeah, I uh, graduated there. He's he's actually home right now. Um, he goes back in another week or two because you know they got locked out for COVID. But yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. You know, so the rule. So when I went through um, the Naval Academy, the simple rule was you got to do a sport year round. You, you know, you're. I don't care what you do. They have intramurals. Again, it's a. It's for us. It's a Division One high level. You yeah. know, athletic school. So, yeah, and so. But if you can't do that level, you know, you got to do a sport year round. And I did all these goofy things. I did ultimate Frisbee. I did marathons. I did cycling. I mean, I did everything. You know, I, I did a thing called field ball, which is very much like rugby. And so and, that, and, and so that was the rule in our house growing up for both my kids was that I don't care what you do, but you got to do a sport year round. And you're right, you know, for that that mental health of just being out in, interacting with others. And I didn't care what you did. Like for years, they did swimming. Then um, my son and I did baseball together for years as my daughter stuck with swimming. And then we shifted with baseball to uh, tennis. And both my kids wound up doing tennis. 
and being being the the type A uh, the type of guy I was, I was like tennis. What the freaking hell is tennis? You know, you can't do tennis. You know, but then when I actually got into tennis because my kids were in tennis, like, wow, this is really intense. This is really good. And and I mean, th- their athleticism was fantastic. So that was. But you're right. You know, when you keep your kids engaged, you know, athletically, um, mentally, it's phenomenal for their well being. Because both my kids wound up doing exactly, they both achieved what exactly they wanted to do so far in life, which is a far cry different than most people and definitely from me. Um, so, yeah, and I think a large part of it was keeping them active and keeping them outside with the vitamin D. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, I'd like to ask you about your um, endurance stuff, Robin. What, um, sure. What, what, yeah, I like, I've done some marathons, um, done some triathlons. So, um, yeah, one of the, you know, the Bigfoot 200 is one that I would love to do. Um, I think that's Washington State. Um, I think it's 200 miles over, over, over hills up there. That looks pretty cool. But what's, what's your sort of biggest distance and, and favorite race over there? Wow. Um, it's been, a, it's been a number of years cause I started realizing, uh, my body started breaking down. So, uh, it's amazing what you can do in your early forties. By the time you hit your fifties, it's all done. Uh, although I'm starting to make a resurgence, we'll see. Um, but anyway, um, I did a bunch of 50 milers, uh, was okay. my max. My wife did not let me do hundred milers, uh, although I really wanted to. So I've done a couple called the, the bull run, uh, over okay. here in yeah. Manassas, Virginia, the bull run 50. I've done the JFK, um, which actually started it in the United States, the JFK 50. I've done that twice. Um, and so all these things, like you're saying, they're through the mountains, they're on trails Mm. and it was such an energizing experience because, you know, I'd been a marathon runner for years and I remember, you know, I was, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I'm one of those guys that understands, you know, I'm not, you know, no matter how hard I try, you hit a certain level and you'll never get faster. And I got it. I, so I ran this great marathon one year. I was in my late thirties. And I think I ran like a 335, you know, marathon, which is respectable, but still could not, still could not qualify for Boston at that rate. It was flat. It was cool. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. (laughs) I got to do something else. You know, I've maxed out. I can't, I can't do go any faster than that one. It it was hurtful. It was painful. I injured myself multiple times along the way, trying to go faster. I said, let me try this ultra thing. And what I found is, you know, go slow, go long and just keep moving. And uh, it was a great time. And I'll tell you, the people on it are just phenomenal, you know, because it's so encouraging because it's not competition at that point anymore. It's actually just finish and Mm. uh, smaller numbers. And I remember the first one I did, it was on the Bull Run 50. And I remember I'd I'd been running about six or seven hours. I hadn't seen anyone in about two hours (laughs) between the aid stations. And I just started laughing. Here I'm in the middle of the woods. I hadn't seen anyone in two hours. I've been running for like six hours. I was like, this is the craziest stupid thing I've ever done. (laughs) But it was such a hoot. Um, Yeah, Yeah, um, I've done um, uh, Mont Blanc Marathon in Chamonix, you know, in France and Alps. So you run, you don't run on Mont Blanc itself. um, (laughs) It's so cool because... And I'm looking at uh, you, you know, you're, it's like a tank moving through the woods. Yeah, Look at you. It's like a green not, beret going through the woods. I am <laughs> not built for, uh, I am not built for running marathons, but I try anyway, uh, because why not? But, um, you know, you get, you know, you're climbing hills and there's all the locals out in these little, like little tiny little villages and these in the bottom of the Alps and then they've all got their cowbells out and, yeah. you know, you're, you've got your name on your vest and they're all shouting at you and you're French and saying, Alice, Alice, that is so cool. It's so cool. 
That is exactly the same. That's why I love, you know, all these things are, are universal. That's exactly the same. You know, they, they cheer your name as you're coming in. You know, they throw all these food and whatever you need at you, and they cheer you yeah. when you leave, and, yeah. and you get another. Yeah, it's a good deal. <laughs> Super cool, man. I've got some pictures from um, from the Chamonix Valley, and it, it, some of them don't look real. You're looking at you, you've got Mont Blanc in the back, and it's all right. just leaves you go, that doesn't look real. It looks it's just so, it's an un- if you ever get the chance, Go and do Mont Blanc Marathon. I would highly recommend it. It's amazing. Such as, long a cool I'm walk, place. as long as I'm allowed to walk it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I walked a lot, but um, yeah, it's such a cool experience and that such a cool awesome. event. Yeah, it's really cool. So, um, yeah. So, Robin, how did this crazy uh, run into the FBI? How, where, where does it? How does that happen? That's a great question. You know, it's really it's like the coolest podcast I've been on because we haven't talked about anything except my hobbies so far. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, so, it, it like I said at the beginning, it kind of happened by uh, not by design. It definitely was not designed. You know, a lot of people come in the FBI because um, it's something that was their lifelong dream, everything they always wanted to do, and it wasn't for me. Um, so, literally, I had been in the Marine Corps for five years as a captain. So from the Naval Academy, I went in the Marine Corps because you can go either Marine Corps or Navy. And I went Marine Corps and I was at Paris Island, South Carolina. I was a, a series and company commander down there. I was in charge of the training at boot camp for the Marines and as a captain. And in my job in the Marine Corps, they're about to transfer me to Okinawa. And my job in the Marine Corps was very limited in in ranking up. So it was very my, my options professionally were very, very limited. And my wife and I decided we, you know, we wanted to have a family. We really didn't want to have a family inside the Marine Corps. And so she actually applied to the FBI before I did. Like been her lifelong dream had been to go in the FBI. So we grew up together and um, we didn't date or anything. We knew each other, same group of friends. And so we took an eighth grade trip um, to Washington, D.C. And we got a tour of the FBI headquarters back then. And so she got enamored with it. So it was so she actually applied before I did. And then we had a recruiter come to Paris Island from the FBI and said, hey, we think Marine Corps officers make great FBI agents. And I said, all right. Um, I literally had no idea what it was about. And I had two questions. I said, does all my military time count towards my retirement? <laughs> and they said, yes. And so I had nine years that counted towards my retirement. So that's good. And I said, what's your retirement rate? In other words, how many people stay to retirement? Because I figured that would demonstrate to me the health of the organization. And they said, basically, 95 to 98 percent of the agents that come on board make it to retirement. I said, that's a high percentage saying that they must like their job. So, all right, I'll apply. And from there, I got assigned to New York City. It was uh, not where I wanted to go. Um, and I got uh, the privilege of um, working on a counterintelligence squad. I had no idea what counterintelligence was. And I got assigned to work uh, the Russian military intelligence, which is called the GRU. And my main job was to recruit spies. And I was surrounded by phenomenally professional, awesome spy recruiters. And I really learned from them about how not to be a moron in my life anymore. So, And I got on a behavioral team uh, in New York. Um, to go over our behavioral team, went to Quantico to train. I mean, just all these events that happened because literally I realized early on I'm a complete narcissistic moron and I need to be like all these great people around me. And so I needed to codify what they were doing. And so that's why I write books and everything because I create labels and meanings behind what awesome people are doing so I can repeat their behavior since I suck. So um, that's that's a really short version of how did you get to do that? Well, it just happened. <laughs> I, <laughs> and, I, and I got in the FBI before my wife did. She got pregnant, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> and she, I'll tell you, I tell this story all the time. She would have met a much better FBI agent than I was. So, because she, she's always one watching these crime dramas on TV and everything. They drive, they drive me up a wall. I can't stand them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it must be a bit like, a, 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 as we would call it, a busman's holiday. You know, uh-huh. where you're sat watching, you know, a, a program where there's FBI agents. You must sit there cringing, thinking, that's not how they do that. That's yeah. not how that. So, and, and the reason... It is fifty-two minutes. Come on here. Yeah, I know. And and especially working counterintelligence, you know, our operations go for years. I mean, we're talking years. There was stuff I was doing, you know, and and you can actually read about them in my books. uh, Literally, that lasted my twenty-one year career from the day I started to the day I ended. They were still going, some of them, and and was funny. So I I recently started watching the the show on on Netflix called The Americans. It's about the Russian illegals in the United States during the sixties. And because I was involved in one of the, you know, in the case in the United States, you know, and had the 10 Russian illegals. One of them was Anna Chapman, you know, that got kind of famous because she was a good looking model looking, you know, Russian illegal. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this on TV, you know, on the Netflix thing because I was, oh, it's pretty accurate. It's pretty good. And yeah, about 5% of it is accurate. And then it goes sideways so fast. It's just like, gosh, dang, it just really ruins it. <laughs> <laughs> It's good entertainment, though. It's it's good yeah. entertainment, though. I, I don't poo poo yeah. any of it. It's just it's just always realize it's entertainment and not real. Yeah, but then if you you know if you had if you had to have a a documentary that covered a twenty one year um, program, it probably would be great viewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to condense it. You know, you got to you know you got to condense. You got to make it so people it's exciting because people say, "Oh, tell me what's a day in the life of the FBI agent." I said, "Ah." Well, go into the most boring office building you can find and sit behind a desk in a cubicle. There you go. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> my job was to not do that every day. You know, you know, it was, yeah, my job was, you know, finding people that had information that could protect national security. Um, and so that stuff's not in the office. You go meet people, you create relationships. And I, my product I sold was patriotism. You know, so I'm selling a, selling a concept, selling an idea. And they're the only... The only remuneration you get for it is a feeling of goodwill. So it's it's a tough product to sell, you know. But if you're great at sales and you create great relationships and you build trust and you don't use deception or manipulation or anything like that, you know, you, you can you can do a lot of good, you know. So and you can only save the person, only save the world one person at a time. So I always focused on that. Yeah, this um, yeah, this kind of goes back to you know exactly what you're saying there. You know, just going back to. You know, you, you listen to it, you know, I've listened to Mike Baker before on podcasts, you know, an FBI guy, and you listen to him, you just go, oh, oh, he's just a man. He's just, he's right. just a normal, you know, he's just a guy like me, you know. You speak, you know, before coming on here, you'd be thinking, God, I've got to speak to this FBI guy now, and he's going to be really intelligent, and he's going to be quite intense, I would imagine, and you go, oh, no, no, he likes CrossFit and runs marathons. And, <laughs> <laughs> did, did, and I'm a dad. Really, didn't I really want it. to be in the FBI. Yeah, uh, my my hobbies are camping. You know, I I walk every day. You know, I just, you know, my main hobby is my kids. You know, my daughter is now a nurse. She graduated from university and uh, and my son is in his junior year at the Naval Academy. You know, my my, literally my hobby is my family, uh, which is my life. You know, everything else. I love stuff like this, you know, because this gets the word out, you know, like my passion in life is for a long time has been. All right. So how can I be a resource for people to learn? how to communicate the way they want to communicate because people want to make great connections with human beings, you know, and it, I, I had to do it at a very high level and I sucked at it really bad when I started, you know, I was surrounded by people that understood they, they, they didn't know what they were doing. They're naturally born doing it very well. That's why half the world is born, natural born leaders and the other half isn't, 
you know, my job as the non-natural born leader was to figure out what these other guys were doing, codify it so I could repeat it and also pass it along. And so that's when my great joy is like, you know, most human beings want to communicate effectively. They want to communicate well. They want to build great trust. They want to build great relationships and they don't want to be taken advantage of. Uh, and so that's what I've been. That's why I love doing. I love sitting back watching and helping others understand all right, this is why you're awesome because you're doing this, this, and this, you know, like we did with you too. You know, it's like, I guarantee you those four things we talked about, you do that in your communication with each other. I guarantee it. You don't see this kind of relationship between people that aren't doing that. And at the same time, you can think of times when, you know, you probably didn't get along or there was some stress there with either with each other or with others. I can guarantee you those things weren't going on. You know, you're judging someone else. You were, you know, either not verbally or non-verbally. You sat in judgment of them. Their shields go up. Um, you weren't seeking their thoughts and opinions. You're trying to dominate their thoughts and opinions with yours. Um, and there you go. I mean, it's it's pretty predictable behavior. Yeah. As, as part of the re one of the reasons I reached out to yourself, Robin, is I've got two year books sat on my Kindle that I've been reading through. Yeah, um, thanks. <laughs> yeah, uh, Code of Trust and, and um, Sizing sizing people up or sizing up apologies yeah sizing people up yep sizing people up i was right and um, because in my in my day-to-day -day job i train a uh, new staff and existing staff for a financial services company yeah so one of the things i have to do very quickly is build rapport build trust get them on board with what we're going to do and also recognize when people are saying yeah yeah I'm, I'm all good i'm all okay actually no you're not um, and we do a lot of stuff in work about like neuro-linguistic programming, NLP and looking for yeah. body and um, body language clusters. And because one of the classic ones everyone says, and I'm sure you're aware, you know, if you fold your arms, that's really defensive. Well, actually, yeah. Chris, there was arm folding. Excuse yeah. me. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's one tell out of a cluster. Yeah, it's all about clusters. So it might be and I know Chris does it all the time, but in Scotland, when we're little kids, we get told to sit with our arms folded by teachers, right. by parents. It's a, it's a quite a Scottish thing. I, I don't know how it translates to America. But we get told as very little kids, sit with your arms folded, sit with your legs crossed, and that's how you kind of, that's how you sit when you're kind of right. behaving and paying attention in school. Sometimes you fold your arms because you're cold. Right. It's a comfort so, move. Yeah, just by itself doesn't mean anything. But if they're folding and their body's slightly turned away and they're frowning and there's a few other things going on, then you might say, okay, now they're starting to look a little bit more defensive about that situation rather than just ah, fold my arms while I have a think here. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's what I find interesting about your book is talking about, you know, the six signs for the behaviour prediction and yeah. how that's all going to tie into the real world of, of my job, not being an FBI agent very much so. But, and, and you're hitting on it so perfectly. You know, when I started my career, you know, with, with my behavioral team, you know, a, a guy by the name, world-renowned nonverbal expert, Joe Navarro, um, wrote the book, What Everybody Is Saying. I mean, he is world-renowned nonverbal expert, good, very, very good close friend of mine. And that's his thing. His thing is nonverbals. And so, so was mine when I first started on the team because he did a lot of interviews and interrogations. And so he had... Uh, a need for that one skill set. Meanwhile, my career shifted towards not as many interviews and interrogations, but towards recruiting, you know, human beings, which is, a, it's different. You know, you're looking at nonverbals, but it really required me to listen to words. And because words, it gave me a, a fuller picture. So what happened for me was I used to do the nonverbals, like you're saying, from the top of the head to the tips of the toes. And there's hundreds of things the body are saying. But what happens is, 
I haven't met a human being yet, and Joe will tell you the same thing, that ha has the ability to watch the nonverbals and listen to the words at the same time because it's very, very difficult to pay attention to the linguistics that are being used, which are very important because every time someone says something, they're sharing a priority. And remember, one of those four things I said is you need to talk in terms of the priorities of others. The only way you can do that is to hear what they're saying. And if you're trying to diagnose everything, what their body language is, then you're not going to hear the words as nearly as much. And the other problem challenge I, I'd say with with watching nonverbals is if and the people fall into this trap. If you're trying to detect deception, because a lot of people are trying to detect deception through nonverbals, what you're doing is one, the best people in the world are only 50% accurate detecting deception through nonverbals alone. It's not accurate whatsoever because stress is what you're looking for. And stress is a bad memory, a bad thought, but it also can be deception. And the other problem with it is if you're looking for deception, you're, you automatically give yourself a bias. So all you're looking, so now all you're seeing is the deceptive indicators, which means you're going to miss all the non-deceptive indicators that are also going along. So it's, so the challenge with, with all this behavioralism is being objective and not having, trying to do anything and just sitting back and observing as unbiasedly as humanly possible. And it's very, very challenging. That's why I think the best counter to that uh, for any individual, be curious. You know, don't be, don't look for someone to be in right or wrong. You know, as soon as you get rid of your, your opinion that there's a right or wrong or a good or a bad, they're just as an is, that person's is, and you are curious about how it is they came to that, you know, how it is, you know, who they, in other words, walk a while, walk a mile in my shoes and see what decisions in life you would have made. Um, just have that curiosity and that kind of helps shove that bias aside. So. It is very challenging, but yeah, all those things you do. Matter of fact, it's funny when you mentioned, you know, financial industry, that is my number one general client is uh, financial industry because it's client relations, customer relations, because that's, the, you know, you're trying to bring that value to others. So absolutely. What's interesting as well is within where I train is predominantly um, contact center based. So mm -hmm. it's solely on the the verbal. There is no, there is no non-verbal because they're on the other side of a phone. Yep. So you're trying to teach staff to pick up on the verbal cues of how someone say not so much what they're saying as how they're saying it. Yep. And amongst the story of, hi, how can I help you today? And the person goes, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, it's like seven minutes of just talking and you have to be able to recognize what are the key points in that five or six minute verbal diarrhea of just them spouting everything that's gone wrong that day. And oh, and amongst that, there's this problem with their account. And right. that's what you're trying to teach, to, to teach. And sometimes quite young people, you know, the average age of, of the staff that I'm training is 17 to 23 year olds. Yeah. That, with the greatest respect, don't have often a great amount of life experience. Right. You know, we've got people that come in that don't know what a mortgage is because they're 17 years old, live at home, have no right. concept of what a mortgage is. And then someone's phoning up to say, you know, the mortgage payment hasn't been made. And, and they're like, why are they getting really stressed about the mortgage payments? Well, because it keeps a roof over their head. So, you know, and you're trying <laughs> to put the emotions behind them because oh, I, would, I wouldn't go crazy about that. Yeah, but that's because you live at home and have no concept of paying bills and rent and food and all the other stuff that you kind of take for granted as, as older people like ourselves, as parents like myself and yourself, Robin. Um, and it's interesting, having read your book, that I'm going to try and steer that differently over the next few months and see how oh, it yeah. works. And, and the greatest thing is, you know, I, I love, you know, any age is fantastic when you have humility. 
you know, and so, you know, so someone that, you know, like you're saying, you know, if you have a 18 or 23 year old or something that says, I don't understand why this is stressing them out, but they're curious as to why it is and they're not judging and they want to learn. I will, I will take that human being any day of the week. You know, I, I'm a big believer in, I can teach anyone to flip a switch. I can't teach humility and I can't t- teach self-awareness. That's something that someone comes to on their own in their own timing, you know, but someone has enough of that to say that can humble up and say, all right, I'm good at the X, Y, and Z. I have energy. I can bring you energy and I care deeply about your product and, and what we're doing, but here's what I suck at. <laughs> I suck at experience. You know, I mean, my, my son and I talk about this all the time. You know, he's, he's 20 years old and I trust him with my life. He is the best researcher of anything of any, I mean, I, I literally would hand anything over to him to do, but what he doesn't have is life experience. And so the only thing I bring to the equation when we work on anything together is I got experience, experience with people, experience with different tools, you know, different, you know, all these things. And so, and he respects that. So it's one of those things that, you know, if people have the ability to understand, here's what I have, here's what I don't have. Um, I rely on you for this. You can rely on me for this. And this is why, I mean, I've never met a human being once uh, and, and look back through history. No one had it all. <laughs> you know, we're all working on something. And so if you can recognize that and humble up with what you don't have, those are the people I want to work with because they're the healthiest people out there. Definitely. It definitely makes it easier if they're willing to. Just to give a, a real, there's still an example that sticks out was we had a, an 18-year-old kid, let's say, in the in the group. And they were saying that, we were talking about life insurance. Mm-hmm. And they had no understanding of what it was, and they're like, "So, so what? What's the point of it?" And I was, I was explaining, you know, the concept of it, and they're like, "So I have to be dead before it pays out." And I was like, "Yeah, that's pretty much how life insurance works." So, what's the point then? Like, if I don't get the money, what's the point? And I was like, "Okay, yeah, I get it, because you're 18 years old, and da, da, but like, well, you don't I'm, have anyone you know, else, I've, right?" I've got yeah. kids, so I want to make sure my mortgage is paid off, that my kids are well looted, you know, all this stuff. Oh. So when do you get it? And I said, well, when you start paying for it. Oh, my God, you have to pay for it as well. <laughs> so, here's, so here's an easy concept. You know, I always like going to the, to the end goal of everything about why we do what we do. And, and, I, and that's why I love the finance industry. I think that's why I've done so much work with them is because, you know, I work with a lot of insurance companies as well. Because what, what you all do is you're looking out for the safety, security, and prosperity for people if something catastrophic happens that they can't predict. You know, and so a lot of times people have no idea about these types of things that can happen in their lives. And so what you're doing is you're helping them identify insecurities in their lives in in terms of safety, security and prosperity. Now you're offering resources for them in terms of those things. And so, you know, so explain it to a 19 year old is the same exact thing. All right. So every human being is is very vested in safety and security and prosperity for yourself. This is one of those tools in order to give someone a sense of safety, security, and prosperity, you know, for their family, their loved ones. You know, mm-hmm. so that's why, you know, one size doesn't match all. It's like, hey, you know, if you're if you're 18 years old, you know, you're not going to want, you know, this massive plan that takes care of all your loved ones because you don't have any, <laughs> you know, but you're going to, you know, but if you start on this now, you'll pay less on this in the future. And then when you do have a family, you know, so there's all these cost benefit analysis. And then again, you make it all about them. So. Yeah, I love this stuff. <laughs> That's, um, yeah. Do you find um, do you find that kids get more? Are they getting more difficult now with age? Is, it, is this just something in, in my head that you know kids are, you know, how's the way to you know? 
I'm trying to be careful how I word this now. <laughs> be positive. Yes, I understand. You want to be yeah. positive in the way you frame it. As you know, it seems that you know kids are a little bit more you know interested in being on the phone at work rather you know maybe sending a Snapchat or being on Instagram at work rather than they don't you know they really just want to get paid on Friday rather than really being good at the job. Do you find that's a thing? I, I see quite a lot of it, and you know in my work, you know I see people you know who work in you know I, I, I work with garages, car garages, and I see you know some young people who don't really care about the job in any way, shape, or form. It's just a means to make money. And it's like they don't really care about the job. Do you find this is like becoming a, a more widespread thing, or is it, or is it just something I see? <laughs> uh, no, it's not just something you see, but what you see is something from a generational context. Um, yeah. I'm a big believer in there's no generation that's worse or better or anything else. Every generation just changes based on the environment we're being grown up in. Yeah. And, you know, um, when I grew up, there was, you know, three channels on, on the television. Um, there was no internet. There was no f- cell phones. I mean, there was nothing. And you, you figured it out. You know, there was, you know, the United States in the 1970s, when I was growing up, there was no money. My parents never owned a home. They still never owned a home. I mean, it was, it was very rough. And so you went to work at a very young age to try to take care of yourself. My kids did not experience that whatsoever because I learned how to be an entrepreneur. I mean, even working inside the FBI, I had what's called outside employment authority. I mean, I've run my company, you know, I was running it nine, eight years um, before I retired because I have been an entrepreneur my entire life trying to provide for myself because that was my generational type of experience. That being said, you know, you're not going to undo thousands of years of evolution in a, in a, in a small span of technology. And so what every human being seeks and craves is exactly the same. And what they'll do under stress will still revert to the same. And I, I like I just use the example of my son, you know, who, you know, he he heard about all my experiences at the Naval Academy, you know, as a plebe, you know, your first year and, and all the stress that I went through there. And his first year or two there, he says, Dad, this was not what you said it was going to be. This is way easier. These people are moron. You know, whatever he's saying, he said, this is not your experience that you had. And I said, yes, but that's okay. It's your experience. It's different. Mm -hmm. But every generation has their thing. And I'll tell you what, the stuff that they're going through right now, doing distance learning, um, because he's been home since March 9th. And he had, he had he taught himself. He's a mechanical engineer. He taught himself mechanical engineering courses the rest of the semester. And right now he's at home studying double electrical engineering before he goes back and goes into quarantine for two weeks before he has to start tra- training plebes. He's there doing hardcore shit. Excuse my language. I mean, it is this is this is no joke. I mean, th- this generation is how now had their moment of all right. You know, we um, we had an expression in the, when I was in a uh, young officer in the Marine Corps. Because you can guarantee, you know, when you're in any kind of situation in life that, you know, whether it's combat or behind the scenes in training, you know, life is going to throw you a lot of weird curveballs. And what are you going to do? And the expression was, you know, what now, Lieutenant? You know, you're a brand new second lieutenant. You know, you got the commanding officer above you. You see something goes squirrely sideways and someone does something weird or some new situation pops up. And as a second lieutenant, you're like, you're, you're looking for someone to bail you out. And all they're doing is looking back at you. And they say, what now, lieutenant? <laughs> and that's what mm-hmm. and that's what I think this generation is going through right now is, all right, here's what the situation is. What now? You're going to roll over and die or you're going to step up and move forward. It's a choice. And so I, I agree with you. They haven't um, they haven't had to be pushed um, for a while because our generation was pushed. And so we wanted to make a, an easier life for ourselves. And by making an easier life for ourselves, 
our children have it easier. It's just a, a, a natural evolution, you know. But when faced with it, they will they're going to have to shut up or put up. <laughs> and and I I'm I'm seeing it though. I'm I'm definitely seeing it. Yeah, it's so have heart. It's going. I wonder um, how much of it is just people in general, you know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be kids who are just doing a job that they hate. Do you know, they just don't want to do yeah. the job that they're doing. You know, it's just, I wonder how much of it's just that, um, yeah. which I'm sure, sure yeah. happens. Yeah, there are. Um, and that's unfortunate. I, I, you know, I was, I'm not sure where I read it. I, I saw this great article a couple of days ago. And, and again, you know, put your political feelings about these folks aside, but it was Howard Stern was uh, interviewing uh, Jerry Seinfeld and on the Howard Stern show. And it was a really, what I found really fascinating was Howard Stern, you know, two very successful folks, you know, multimillionaires, um, very, very successful. And Howard Stern was talking about how, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm probably butchering it, you know, for folks that have read it and seen it, but Howard Stern was talking about his success was because, you know, he was diligent, he was hardworking, you know, he leaned in, it was, took discipline to do these things. And Jerry Seinfeld said, all right, I'm not going to take away from those aspects of it. He said, but here's what I'm, something I'm going to add. You are as successful as you are, and I'm as, as successful as I am because we love. And you know, and, and Howard kind of gave him a, a quizzical look and says, what do you mean? And he goes, well, when you love what you do, you have limitless energy. If you're doing something because you're trying to be disciplined, that's a limit. You will run out of energy. You will run out of the things. And so for those people that don't love what they do, they will hit a dead end because they will run out of energy. The challenge in life is to figure out what do you love and devote yourself to that and figure yeah. out how to make that prosperous for yourself. It's a great challenge, especially, you know, not everyone, you know, has that ability to do that. And there's a certain walk in life. And, and, and you, got, you know, the, here's the thing, you got to be broad with it. Because I mean, even with myself, you know, I was, I'm trying to figure this out for myself. You know, what do I love? Because, you know, I, I got, I'm running this company and I got to tell you, 90% of the stuff I need to do, I hate <laughs> marketing, sales, you know, social network. I hate all this garbage. You know, it's not me. What do I love? I love communicating like this. This is the part I love. You know, and so, and so I was really trying to hone in. It's like, what is my love? Well, my love is sharing, you know, my passion for understanding how to communicate effectively. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. You know, you can do it on a podcast, you can do it with online virtual stuff. There's a lot of ways. And so I'm making sure that I understand that core. And that's what I put out to others is, you know, if you don't like what you do, I understand it because you're trying to make ends meet. But at the same time, identify those things in your life. As if you even got one or two, because if you can do that, that's amazing. And figure out what is it about those things that you love. You know, so say that someone likes a hobby, but they say oh, I can never make money at that hobby. I understand that, but what is it about that hobby that gives you that satisfaction? Is the ability that the fact that you're helping <clears throat> someone else? Because a lot of people find a great value in helping others. So if it's helping others, well, you can monetize that in another area, maybe over here. So in other words, really zeroing in on exactly what gives you that inner joy. Because once you identify that, then you'll have that limitless energy. And then you can actually keep going um, without bounds. Yeah, that's, um, I'm, I'm quite lucky. Um, so I, you know, work for was my family's business, uh, Robin. It's now sort of mine. Um, I'm very lucky that. I enjoy it. It allows me to get up in the morning, maybe lift some weights, go for a run, go to jujitsu, kick Ali's ass. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm allowed. You know, I, I get so much freedom. I, I like what I, I, you know. I like to do what I do, and I get all the freedom to you know 
go run a marathon or do a triathlon or climb a, a mountain or whatever it is. And it's so much, you know, and, and that make you know, when I speak to people and they're saying, ah, oh, it's Monday tomorrow, I don't want to go to work. And I think, why? Get a new job. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just exactly what you're saying. You know, it must be so draining for somebody to hate, yeah. what, they, hate what they do. They don't like it. They don't like their boss. They don't like, you know, anybody in the office. They, they can't get to the gym and, ah. Oh. It is. I, I I think the first thing that's important to do is I do this a lot. Um, I did it when I was doing recruiting operations. You know, I when when you're trying to think in terms of recruiting a spy, people are always saying, "Well, what's their motivation?" And everyone else always scream at you, "Oh, they're motivated by money." I go, "Nope, money's just the thing to get them to something else." You know, what actually everyone's motivated by is creating a, a, a safe, prosperous, and comfortable life for themselves and their families. How they define that, and so. Having people understand that, you know, there's a lot of ways in which to create prosperity for yourself that doesn't necessarily center around the thing you think it needs to be for making money. Because money is just the thing, the thing to get you that that sense of prosperity. There's, you know, there's resource. I, I, I love thinking in terms of life of life is an exchange of resources with others. You know, and, and I, this time of COVID is a perfect example. I mean, I all my in-person speaking completely dried up, which was my main source of resources for my, for my post, you know, FBI life. Does that mean my life has stopped? No. But what's happened now is barter. <laughs> you can't pay financially. So we actually work out barter programs where you'll promote me. You'll do advertising for me. You market this, you give me a great review on this, you know, like, because what, and is that still as valuable? Sure. Because yeah. life, life is about resources and exchanging resources, you know, so it, it's just understanding, you know, what's the, what's the new thing and how do you do that? And uh, so, yeah, to your point, I, I do feel bad that people feel they're locked into something because they have to do something. Um, it, it's sad. And, and I, and I, I'm not discounting it. I'm not, I'm not diminishing that emotion. I've been there. I've been, I, I, you know, neither my, as I said, neither my parents ever went to college, Grew up extremely uh, no money. Started working at a very young age because I had to if I ever wanted to have school clothes. Um, so I get it, but yeah. you can do something about it. You can, yeah, and I think I, I think if you look at it as a means to an end, it sometimes becomes easier. Because I've been in situations where my kids were for like like um, very young, like preschool age, and I just had to get a job because I needed to get right. money to come in, to pay bills, to get food on the table. Yep. And I did a job that I didn't enjoy and definitely weren't what I wanted to do. But I always had it as a, you know what, this is for the next two years. And yep. in two years' time, we'll be in a bit better financial position so I can then look for the next stage. Mm -hmm. And in the next stage, and I'm quite lucky now that I, like Chris is saying, I genuinely, genuinely enjoy 98% of my job, which I think anyone's like you're saying, Robin, you know, there's elements of it that <clears throat> whenever it is, there's always small elements you don't, but 98%, yeah, yeah. I don't have the, the Monday fear, like Chris was saying, I don't have that fear of sitting here on a Sunday night going, oh God, nine o'clock tomorrow morning, I'm going to be sat at the desk. I genuinely don't have that. Um, and I know that in a way, it, it sounds crazy to say, but I know that, that me and Chris are lucky to have that because I know from speaking to friends that a lot of them don't have that. You're right. And and I'll, I'll still tell you, the regardless of the job you're doing, it's never the job. And I, I was fortunate in the fact that I learned early on, don't follow the job, follow the people. Because you, I, I've, I've worked for companies, you know, as a consultant that I would have never have thought of working for in a million years. One of them was an automotive company. And I would never have thought of being in the automotive industry in any way. But this company created such a good, healthy work environment 
I would have, I would have, I would have gone there in a second. So the bottom line is follow healthy relationships, create them around you and follow them. If you have an, the people that dread going to work are the ones that have unhealthy relationships at work because you dread the people mm. you're going to be around. I mean, if, if you like being around the people you're around, work is a joy because again, flipping a switch or, or, or putting something on a conveyor belt or, you know, selling a product, it's, it's, it's a thing. You know, mm-hmm. and anyone can do a thing. It's it's the people you're with and the relationships you have. They're, if they're healthy, you love seeing them. If they're unhealthy, you dread it. It really comes down to something that simple. And so that's what you make a choice about is are you yeah. are you aiding the unhealthy relationship by bitching and moaning about it? Or yeah. can you do something about it? And here's what you do about it. You seek the thoughts and opinions of others. You talk in terms of their priorities. You validate them and you give them choices. Um, it comes down to what, all right, here's your situation. What are you going to do about it? Own it, and you can do something about it. Yeah, yeah we've said um, so many times, and not, not necessarily with work, but um, you know, just in your personal life or you know, at the gym or whatever you're doing, you know, everything is so dependent on who you have around about you. So you yeah. know, if you're going, you know, if you're in a gym or a CrossFit gym or, or anything, and the guys around about you are assholes. Yeah, you, you just, uh, I might not go tonight. Or, but when you go in there, it's like, oh man, yeah, Robin's in. He's a cool guy. Yeah, we'll have some chat. You know, we'll talk about, you know, this or that. And it's, it becomes so much fun. That's why you go. You know, yeah, yeah. That's exactly why. It doesn't matter what you're doing. But you have this, you know, that you're saying with negativity. So, you know, negativity is such a bad, it's so bad. And I don't even think people get stuck in these little ruts where they're surrounded yeah. by people going, he's an asshole or, or you know she's an ass you know he did this and well i don't like this president i don't like this and it's just constant it's exhausting it's so yeah. mentally exhausting yeah but you need to go stop all this let's uh and that's why let's, and so yeah. everyone's always looking for so you know what what are like one or two things i can do today right now all the time to stop that and that's easy yeah. You seek the greatness in others. In other words, stop paying attention to what's screwed up with them because I guarantee you everyone's working on something. We're born perfect. The world messes us up pretty good for 19 years, and we spend the rest of our lives unscrewing that. <laughs> and so, so find their greatness. And the second thing is identify their priorities and not what's important to them and how can you be a resource for them in terms of those priorities. In other words, figure out what their job in life is and how you can make their life easier. Because if you become the person that makes the life of others easier, everyone's going to want you in their life. And when they want you in your life and you start understanding what their resources are and you have priorities, that's where this exchange starts happening. That's where relationships are built. They're built because you understand what's important to each other. You unconditional with your offering of your resources to others, no expectation of reciprocity, you know, and that's where relationships are built. And that's why, you know, a couple guys like you, you can disagree on things, but you understand what each other's priorities are. You give each other unconditional resources for each other's success and prosperity. That's why when, when stupid little things of opinion show up, eh, who the hell cares? It's fun poking at each other. But the bottom yeah. line is we're, we're there. You know, and that's what and that's what deep rooted, healthy relationships are built on. And yeah. the more of those you have, you can weather any storm. Guaranteed. And and, and I can also kick Ali's ass. So that's, that's uh... <laughs> <laughs> makes it easier for her, mate. <laughs> <laughs> The annoying thing is I can't even disagree. <laughs> you know, that's the most annoying thing. But, 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 but I see Ali sitting here, you know, his sweatshirt, you know, and, and I see you know, Chris over here, you know, he's looking jack, man. You're so Ali. I know, I know. I've been, I've been heel hooked and on by him many a time. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, 
Bali's a lot smarter. So that balances itself out. I can tell. Oh man, I've just been roasted off an FBI agent. Yeah, human behavior. Oh yeah, it's funny. Talking about talking about things like that. How how much does when you're talking about building the relationship and establishing things? How much part does bias play into it? In terms of if you're biased for or against, so someone that you like, you're automatically a little bit biased that when they do things, maybe not how they're meant to, you go, ah, it's all right, because I like them. Whereas if, even if they're doing pretty good and you don't like them, you, the behaviour that they're displaying, you're going to turn against it pretty quickly is, and it's really difficult. Some, I find it very difficult to overcome bias. I think most people do because you have that. And I suppose it's part of the problem that we're seeing in the wider world just now as well. Absolutely. You know, As a matter of fact, um, and you're doing a great bridge from uh, one of the topics in the book. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a bias of liking, um, no doubt. So I think one of the toughest biases that we over we have in life is liking or disliking someone, because liking is a very subjective thing. Liking someone is based upon having common interests, backgrounds, you know, commonalities, hobbies. And has nothing to do with actually re predicting what they're going to do. So, so the first thing I do is I. So people think if I like someone, I can trust someone. But remember, liking someone just means that you have commonalities, and and commonalities does not mean you can actually, you know, be assured they're actually going to follow through on a project, follow through on a task, follow through because that's actually they're two totally separate things. And so I I, I like to bifurcate. And separate the fact that just because I like you doesn't mean I can actually trust you slash predict what you're going to do. Because just because I like you and you don't fly a plane doesn't mean I can hand you the keys to the plane I fly and trust you to actually not kill me and my family. And I love using these extremes because that's actually a skill set that is something totally assessment different. And so, yeah, that liking bias is is powerful. And if you disliking, it's just as powerful. And here's the example I love to give because my, my daughter um, – my family is, is beautiful because everyone is on a different side of the political spectrum of things. And so my daughter does not like our president, President Trump. And so and I and I, I I'm the first to say there is no doubt he is the most and I don't do politics at all. So this is not political. He is the most divisive president we've ever had. And that's because he is the most well-known prior to running for presidency because of all his social stuff he was doing, and, you know, The Apprentice and all that. And so you had millions of people assessing prior to him running for president whether they liked him or disliked him. And the same for Hillary Clinton because she's been around so long. And so now when you – I mean think about this. If you like or dislike someone, if you like them, there's not one thing they can do that you're not going to agree with. And if you dislike them, there's not one thing they're going to do that you will agree with. And so my, my daughter was not – she's like, oh, dad, dad, I don't agree with that. And I said, okay, I understand. I said, so help me understand, Caitlin. I said, you do not like President Trump, correct? And she goes, yeah, I can't stand him. I said, okay. Is there anything he could do that you would agree with? And she goes, absolutely not. And I said, there you go. <laughs> and so that, that liking and disliking bias is extremely powerful um, because it's, it's very subjective. And that's why you know when I wrote Sizing People Up – it's, it's you know six signs of behavior prediction with all these behavioral observations underneath them. And, and behavioral observation is very subjective. But what I try to do is make it so much of it that when you take that much data, subjective data, it actually becomes more objective. And it really – and that's why I, I coined the phrase in there, how to think like an FBI behaviorist. 
and I and it happened because literally when I was um, writing this book with my uh, my writer Cam, I, I, him and I have worked together for years. He's a great writer, but he was never an FBI agent. And I remember in one section of the book, he had said, you know, I you know I wrote a section, and then he was editing it, making it sound all cool for Hollywood and publishing. And he said I was, and he said he, he came up with the phrase, I was sweating bullets, like during this nine eleven thing or something like that. And I, I just, I remember calling him up. I said, Cam, I said, we got to get rid of that. And he goes, what do you mean? Sweating bullets. I said, I have never sweat bullets. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, you can't because if you're sweating bullets, it means you're emotionally attached to an outcome. It means you're stressing it. I said, I actually never stressed anything. I was thinking cognitively of cause and effect of behaviors. That's how you actually think, you know, and ration, you know, cognitively think through situations. So you don't get emotionally hijacked because anytime, I know I'm kind of, going all over on you, but this is the bottom line for me is relationships. And the only way you can cognitively make relationships good is not getting emotional hijacked with negative emotions of stress, anxiety, resentment, discontentment, frustration, anger, all those emotions cloud your vision for seeing the healthy relationships because every solution you're looking for to achieve whatever is you're achieving is going to come through a relationship with someone else. And if you cloud your judgment with all these negative emotions, you're not seeing all these other potential solutions that are coming through all these other people, all these other relationships. And so that's why I said how to think like an FBI agent. It's really simple. Do your best not to get emotionally hijacked because as an FBI guy, I never had the solutions. My solutions for protecting national security came through relationships with other people. And so that's how you honor that. And then you do that by maintaining that great objectiveness and not getting that negative emotional hijacking. Do you know that that's interesting because what I find at work when I'm training is we we ask for like a lot of things you get feedback and one of the common themes that come back is oh Ali's really patient but if you ask my kids they'll say dad dad snaps like that and it's because I've always said I get paid to be patient at work yeah and I'm not as a for for whatever like there's some people I've really liked that I've trained but I've never been as emotionally involved as right. I am with my wife and kids they can they know how to push the buttons they know how to their kids <laughs> and you give the greatest example um ever you know I for years before I started giving labels and meanings to understand these things I always wondered how come my confidential human sources you know my 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 people are helping me with national security how come they like me better than anyone else in my life well it's because I was patient with them. Like you said, I sought their thoughts and opinions. I talked in terms of their priorities. I validated them, gave them choices, and I never judged them in any way. Meanwhile, everyone else in my life, I'm going to judge living hell out of you because I think you're a moron. You know? and, <laughs> and so what's really funny is, is my first book, uh, you know, you, so you have the code of trust. You have sizing people up. My first book was my self-published one. It's this one. And my wife holds this up to me about once a week. It says, it's not all about me. And so every about once a week, <laughs> she holds this up and says, hey, I got a good book for you to read, moron. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I totally get you. <laughs> so, I'm, so outside my house, you know, using my my understanding and my seeing of the world through the matrix, um, I'm a, probably about 95 to 98 percent effective. I really am, am. I'm game on when I walk out that door, when I'm talking to others. And it's not an act. It's it's literally me using my manuals that I, I wrote for myself on how not to be a self-centered narcissistic moron, you know, so I, I understand how to do it. But when you're at home, man, and, 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 and your shields are down, 
stand by because this mouth it runneth over i am a i am an extroverted narcissistic you know self-centered you know snarky guy from the northeast and i can my mouth just goes (laughs) (laughs) that's a great title for a book as well that what was it um self-centered narcissistic how not oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, one of um, one one of the interesting things to 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 go back a little bit there was one of the things that I find that not not to go political either is our leader in Scotland. I am not a fan of in the slightest. Um, so what I had to you know exactly what you're saying about your daughter. So what I would find myself doing is just disagreeing with everything. Right. Just nope, don't like it. And then <laughs> you, you have to sort. You know, I think it happens as you get a little bit older. Anyway. You go, okay, do I really dislike what she's saying or do I just dislike her? And then you kind right. of have to try and separate the things. And you go, okay, maybe I'm being ridiculous. This isn't actually bad. It's just I have put her on this shelf and I just don't like her. I don't like anything about her. But in this case, she's actually not wrong. Do you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's trying to be, um, consider I'm not as smart as Ali, it's uh, trying to be self-aware. <laughs> but you see how perfect that is and because yeah. people ask me that all the time how do i get better at this and i said the mere yeah. fact that you understand that you're not yeah that's the first step because yeah. it's a it's a journey not a destination i mean yeah. i've never met anyone that is perfect at this and i'm not even close either you know but yeah. but being self-aware enough to realize all right this is what i'm doing and uh, matter of fact i'm i'm thinking about doing an article or a you know a, a small video on this i'm calling it no emergency takeoffs and that is, you know, I'm a pilot, and one of the things you learn as a pilot is there's no emergency takeoff. You know, if something's not right, don't go because you're going yeah. to create an emergency that's going to make you land. <laughs> and yeah. so it's the same thing with your mouth. You know, yeah. no emergency takeoffs with the mouth. If if you know you're being hijacked, you know, emotionally, if you know you've got a bias and you just don't know what to say, and you're trying to strategize, best thing to do is just shut up <laughs> because mm. – no emergency takeoffs. It's better to not have any opinion sometimes and to offer one that I here's a guarantee. If you take a side, and I'm not saying what you should you should take a side or not take a side, but I guarantee you, as soon as you do, <clears throat> half the world will line up against you. It's a guarantee. You know, you look yeah. at the some of the most famous altruistic human beings that have ever lived and walked on this planet. Whether you're talking about Muhammad, whether you're talking about Jesus, whether you're talking about Gandhi, I don't care who you're talking about. All these people were assassinated, came at killed crucified whatever it is and these were the most and they're the best of us all you know Mm. because half if you take a side someone will line up against you it's just human nature it's it's interesting that you say you know you know keeping your opinion to yourself sometimes because i think we're talking about this just a couple of episodes ago you know i think um george floyd had just been killed and um and one of the things we're saying to our friend was uh you know not because you see this video which is obviously terrible, but you don't, everybody goes absolutely crazy and their hair's on fire and you go, yeah, but we don't know what happened prior. You just see this clip. Right. So, you know, it's trying not to react instantly to go, okay, what happened here? And then, you know, you find out what happened and he didn't actually do anything and they were right, but it's trying not to, you know, react to the first thing that you see, you know, it's just, you know, people just, you know, there's, there's so many factors that you may, might not see in a yeah. situation. Yep. And so to take the, take the time to go, okay, let's just step away for a second. Let's figure out what's going on. And then we could, you know, you know, it's, um, you know, the same with when COVID first hit and everybody's coming up with these crazy ideas about what's going on. You go, well, let's just, we need to let the details kind of come out and then we can make an, a, a, an opinion. 
you know, people were coming out with all these crazy, you know, it's, it's 5G, you know, you go, oh my God, be quiet. Just, you know, the, gonna be, the details, you know, the yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Make, yeah, details have to come out before you can make an opinion. Instead yeah. of just going, I've seen that and, you know, that's what it is. So, you, you know, it's... I always look at it like this because you know, I deal with a lot with companies and, and law enforcement and stuff. And I always you know, start out by asking everyone and I said, hey, who here has ever actually personally witnessed something that was actually ever reported in the news? And I get a lot of hands go up. And I said, all right, how often was it completely accurate? And no one ever says it was. And I said, all right, so yeah. always so remember that when you're watching the news. You know, yeah. what, what changed with the news and the news cycle, and it happened um, – in the late seventies, early eighties, when CNN, I remember when CNN was first invented and cable first came out. And this is the first time you went from, you know, the nightly news that was on for about 30 minutes uh, for me growing up. And there was no commercials because there's no commercials because the nightly news was boring and you couldn't sell ad space on it. It was a, it was a public service was to prevent, you know, was to present the nightly news. So it didn't sell ad space for profit. And so what happened was CNN comes around and you need 24 hours news and you have, someone has to pay for that and you pay for that through ad space. And how do you get ad space? Well, you have to have viewers. How do you get viewers? You have to sensationalize and make things that are viewable, that are interesting. You have to create drama. And so there, therein lies the first steps towards, you know, making things, um, where you cover it with, with a bias, not saying it's accurate or inaccurate. You cover it with a bias and a slant because you're trying to sell and get ad space so you can actually keep people's jobs afloat and keep networks afloat. Uh, and I don't care if it's CNN, Fox, or anyone. It, it's, it's how the world works. And, and unfortunately, that also means you know you got to really, really take a slow assessment of information when it first gets released because I guarantee you there's more there. I just guarantee it. I've never been yeah, part yeah, yeah. of anything in my life that yeah. was presented completely the first time I saw it. And we were, it was actually an American that we were talking to, and he had said that he felt the BBC was really unbiased, which is really funny because over here we see the BBC as extremely biased on the same slant as a Fox or a CNN because that's our experience of it. We see right. the 24-7 BBC role in news um, and and they just they just happen to be more biased towards the kind of the, the left side of things right. rather than the right. But it's it's almost seen probably historically, and as you were saying, maybe through the eighties and nineties, that the BBC were like the bastion of world press to put you you know right. a, a title on it. That it was it was a little bit above the the gutter sniping and the, the the sort of daily rags of the the Fleet Street, the newspapers as they were in in Britain, and the BBC was held up as something a little bit. A little bit above it all, and over right. the last ten years or so, there's been scandal upon scandal came out with sure. the BBC and their um, their reporting of it. It's definitely changed over here as well, similar to what you were saying about Fox and CNN and in the mm -hmm. states. It's funny, yeah. my, my 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 granddad he watches CNN America for some reason. Don't know why, because he lives in Scotland. He watches CNN America. 24, well, you know, however long he sleeps, he watches it for 18 hours a day. Wow. And all he tells me every day is what President Trump has done wrong. And I'm going, right. okay, but, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fan. I'm not saying he's great, <laughs> but you're watching this thing who clearly despise him. Right. There, there's, a, there's a flip side to this as well. So you need to be aware, that, you know, and as we always say, the truth's somewhere in the middle. Um, Always, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and, and you can, you know, I, I think the healthiest people are, you know, if you can, ha if someone can actually list the strengths 
of each president, wh- whatever side they were, as long as they've lived, that's someone who actually has an unbiased look at things. You know, I, I look at, you know, I, you know, wh- whether you look at, at Trump or Obama or the Bush, Clinton, I mean, each one of them had some amazing things they did. Um, you know, we witnessed amazing history, if nothing else, you know, with the fact that we had, a, you know, Obama as the first black president elected. That was amazing to be able to witness that in my lifetime. Um, you know, his communication style was different, you know. And then when you look at, you know, for me, I grew up under Reagan. Um, so you had Reagan and Clinton, two of the greatest communicators we ever had. Very different, very different politics in a lot of areas, but very similar in some other areas. Um, and it just when you can see take that step back and you see the strength of the human being and just realize, all right, everyone's working on something. No one's perfect. You know, and mm-hmm. and it, I think the ability to see people's strengths and when they're doing something right and also being able to say, all right, this is a bit messed up right here. Um, it's also really good. I mean, I mean, there's things that, that Trump's doing that I think are really, really effective at the same time, you know, <laughs> he needs to shut up. <laughs> I think you genuinely think, I mean, obviously we only get, a little snippet of what's going on, but I think his biggest problem is that um, he says something that's not quite true, and then just keeps digging that hole for some reason. You know, he just and it's like he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have a filter in any way, shape, or form, and just keeps going with it. And it's like he just keeps digging and digging. Thinking, so here's what's so here's what's ah. funny about him, though. So I I did a thing uh, with Brian Kilmeade on a on a radio show. And I said, you know, to a lot of people on the left will say that he is he's so unpredictable. And it's actually no President Trump is actually one of the most predictable presidents we've ever had because, you know, exactly what he's going to do all the time. If you say something negative, he's going to tweet about you. He's going to give you a nickname and and berate you. And like you said, he's going to not relent. You know, I'm, you know, watching him going after uh, Mad Dog Jack Mattis right now, you know, our former secretary of defense. You know, yeah, I, I, it's dumbfounding because here's a guy that, you know, I was I was enamored with Mattis. I thought, what a great secretary of defense, what a great job. But as soon as Mattis went negative on Trump, man, he knew what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. He was yeah, there. When Mattis was appointed, it was very much Trump was all for it. And yep. as you say, the minute it changed, boom, gone. But it's predictable. Yeah. You know exactly. You know. You know exactly what he's going to do. You know. So, uh, I, so there, there's a game theory um, for you know for strategy called tit for tat, which is on uh, pr- it's called prisoner's dilemma, and I don't know whether uh, Trump does this intentionally or it's just um, or he does it thoughtfully. I kind of think it's intuitive as a CEO as a company that you know because again I, he's just predictable because he's literally a CEO of a company. This is he's running the country like a CEO does, and what makes him predictable is the what game theory and tit for tat says is if you poke me in the eye, I'm going to poke you back, and I'm going to poke you back twice as hard as you poked me. But the second you stop poking me in the eye, we're friends and we can and we can work together. And I'll stop poking you. And you know, if you look at how he was going at Marco Rubio, you know, the senator, how he's going after Ted Cruz, and as soon as those two just shut up and became on his team, oh, now they're best friends. He does the same thing with dealing with Iran, North Korea, China, Russia. He is he does exactly the same thing with every single individual in every single situation. It's it's he's game theory tit for tat. He doesn't you know he doesn't hold grudges, but if you go at him, you're done, and he's going and you're and you're going to be crushed. Until you relent, is once you relent, we're fine, you know. And that's that game theory tit for tat. And you don't have to like it, but you can you easy to understand it. And and it's it's so predictable. He does exactly the same thing every time. How do you um, how do you how do you see the the race with Biden going? Boy, 
You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because that that sigh sums up. I think we've said this before as well, Ali. We just going, you know, is this is that? You know, I listened to you know Tulsi Gabbard on a on a, a podcast before. She seems super smart, super intelligent, and and very reasonable. Um, Did you say you had Tulsi Gabbard on, on a? No, 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 not yet, not yet. Anyway, um, but no, I would heard her on on a podcast, and she she seemed super smart. You know, super smart, and seemed like she was very intelligent. You know, she'd been in the military, so she's she's got yeah. an understanding of that. And then you know, they go with Joe Biden. You think and you listen to him talking, and you think genuinely, I wouldn't. I wouldn't let this guy run me a bath. He just seems so stupid. It's like, how is this guy? It just seems crazy. Absolutely uh, crazy. So, uh, well, you know what you're going to get on both sides. Um, you know what you're going to get if Trump's reelected. Um, you're going to get more exactly what's going on. And if Biden's elected, you're, you know, I also know exactly what you're going to get. It's going to be run by committee. You know, our, our country will be run by a bunch of people. Um, so it's, and if, and if you just got to know who his allies are, which are, you know, the, the, the left, you know, hardcore left in our country. And so if he's elected, that's exactly what's going to be running our country. It won't be him. Um, it'll be by committee. Um, just cause that's how, and it's not about him, you know, being good or bad or indifferent or anything. It's just, you know, he's being supported by a lot of, of organizational, um, people inside of Washington, DC. So I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Are you, are you intrigued as a as a, a guy who's you know into the behavior analysis to see how the debate goes down between Trump and Biden? Because even as an outsider, that must be fascinating. Because I always think of Trump as like a a 1980s NWA wrestler, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. nice to get the crowd and like, let me tell you what I'm going to do, brother. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know the crowd to get people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's with his mirrored sunglasses on and a handlebar mustache. Let me tell you, but you, you look at Biden, and he's he's almost the the exact opposite. He's he's almost undynamic, and you just think uh, is a challenge. Gonna, he says, "Is it going to be too well manu- managed for it to go to that level?" Um, I I really you know I, I love human beings immensely, and I I fear for. I, I I hope there is a debate because I think it's important for people to see, um, you know, have good choices and understand what those choices are. Um, and Biden on stage will be very interesting. Um, I've had people, uh, I have people in my life, I think most of most of us had as well that are, are have reached that point in life that um, they're cognating and thinking and communicating uh, in a similar way. And they tend to... Uh, go off the rails uh, a little quicker, a little more inflammatory. Um, I, I don't know. It's, I hope, so my only hope is that nothing humiliates anyone um, yeah. because that'd be sad. Um, but I, I fear that if, if a debate does happen, I fear that that's got a higher probability of probably happening because, you know, he's at a point in his life, you know, that he is, you know, Trump is who he is. I don't, he's not diminishing, you know, who he is, you know, you've, you know, you know exactly what to predict from him. He's going to come at you. He's going to poke at you. He's going to call you names. He's going to, you know, he's going to poke at your son. Um, he's going to poke at your relationships with China and with Ukraine. And I think it's going to be hard for, you know, Biden to maintain his uh, emotional stability when faced with those things. It's a, I think it's, it was not just Biden. I think it's a challenge for anyone. I think that's why, you know, Trump, 
you know, did what he did, you know, in, in the primaries in his first time around. You know, he has an ability to really get under your skin. And I think that's what he's going to do the same thing here. Yeah. I think as well, it's because he doesn't do that politics thing, or certainly from looking at, again, yeah. thinking more British, but, you know, if someone say, if you say something, you're expecting to come back with a, 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 some form of a reasonable argument. <laughs> and someone just turned around and goes, like, like, you know, Chris, you're just an idiot. Right. And then, you know, well, 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 what have I got to, you know? Hmm. He's not polite. Yeah, he's no, gonna, it yeah. doesn't give you something to come back against or to counter if you're expecting, here's my point A, okay, I'm going to counter with point B. Whereas when he turns around and goes, you're, you're a moron, you're an idiot. And and I think the interesting thing that, that I'm curious about this, uh, this time around too is, you know, when he ran last time, you know, he did not have the, you know, he had his CEO brash, you know, way of communicating. But what he didn't have was world experience in in as 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 a as a world leader. Now he does, and actually, you know, one thing that, you know, again, you give credit and, and where credits due and credit where it's not due. You know, the dude's involved. He actually understands and he knows what's going on everywhere. I think he follows, you know, what's going on very closely, whether it has to do with COVID, whether it has to do with, you know, dealing with China, Russia. I mean, he's he's he is a lot smarter of, about what's going on than he was the day he took his presidency. And Biden's been out of that realm for quite a while. Um, so I think getting a briefing from a staff like Biden's getting right now compared to actually living it. And that's for any standing president, any standing president. I mean, look at Obama. I mean, you know, he was very, very well informed about what's going on. You know, it makes it gives them an immense step up when on a debate stage, because you can actually talk very intelligently because you live it every day and the other person's not. So I think that's the, that's also a difference this time around as well. Um, but, you know, I think this is also going to be just like every election is. It's going to be determined by liking and disliking. And the most important thing is the number one poll that comes out every time has been the most biggest predictor is that economic one. If uh, if our economy is uh, is on recovery and doing very well, that's a tough road for uh, for Biden to overcome. A very tough road. Mm, yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, the similarities with um with Boris over here with, with Trump. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Such a you know kind of a buffoon in a way. Uh, Boris, the way, you know, the way, the way it's like. You know, it's like nothing, nothing sticks on. Right. Um, but again, Funnel, you know, yeah, <laughs> makes you curious. How does that work? <laughs> it's um, oh man. It's again, you know, when they had um, Corbyn running against them, you're just thinking, this, Corbyn does not win this race. You know, and the, and the, and the guy that has now replaced him, um, Keir Starmer. Uh, so you, 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 you already look at his background now and his involvement in the Jimmy Savile thing. You just go, how how is this guy the man? <laughs> this is not the man to beat right. Boris Johnson. You know, he, he was um, he was involved in the the, the early investigation into um, Jimmy Savile. You know, with, you know, investigating the BBC, and I think he was the guy behind you know the team. And, and he said, "Yep, I don't see anything wrong here." <laughs> and then you know now he's now he's the, the leader of opposition. You go. Okay, this is a bit, you know, he's, he's doesn't have a personality, um, and and Boris kind of like Trump, nothing sticks to him. Yeah, he just everything bounces off him, and he just marches on. And you think, you know, and, and, and I don't, I don't, you know, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hilarious in the sense that it's very serious, but it's also quite funny. Right. Yeah. 
it's like they're the perfect leaders for the social media era, aren't they? Where it's that yeah, 140 yeah. character soundbite. Yeah. Yeah. It just fits them. It, fit, it seems to fit them both perfectly. You know, if you, you mentioned earlier um, Reagan, and right. obviously at the same time in Britain, and again, I was not a fan of her in any way, shape, or form, but we had Margaret Thatcher. Right. And if you think now, you know, comparing Trump to Reagan and comparing Johnson to Thatcher, although yeah. they're in the same <laughs> parties, you know, theoretically under the same biases or whatever you want to put alongside, right. you know, the Republican and the Tories over here. They're, they're completely different in every oh, way, yeah. shape, and, and they would be because the times are very different. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, the press is different, the media is different. You know, social social stuff is different. The what's going on in the world is different. You know, but but it, it still keeps coming back for me though. Is you know, what do general human beings? What are they seeking and craving? What resources do they have for it? And that's why you know, if every time you know people start worrying about you know the state of the world, you know whether it's COVID, or whether it's protests or anything like that, you just look at history. You know, we went through a civil war here, and we survived that. You know, we went through the civil rights movement in the '60s here, and we survived that. You know, we went through the Spanish flu and we survived that. You know, there's, you know, we will survive the, and, and things will move on. And because, again, the, and whether, you know, groups and organizations are, are being funded and backed by anarchists or not, you know what? Most people, a huge majority of people don't want that. Yeah. So what's really great, you know, in, in most of the countries in the world is that, you know, Good people don't want that kind of lifestyle. And as you get these little flare-ups of insurrection and unjustness, as long as you're, you're in a country that still has the ability to, to exercise those, that freedom, these things will be stomped down pretty fast. You know, it, it take a few days. And again, I, I think what's going on in the United mm -hmm. States, um, whether, whether it was you know, you know, police brutality or it would have been something else. You, know, you lock people up for three months and yeah. they were looking – for an excuse yeah. to just get out and do something, um, and, yeah, it really, yeah, it really was. Storm. Yeah, yeah. And and, and what um, a and what a tragedy, you know. What a yeah, yeah. It's a it's a you know terrible thing. It, you know, it's is there's you know like I was saying. So you know I was saying before is you know try you know I try to not to react to these videos anymore or anything directly. You wait for some information, but you you see the video for all angles. You go, well, did this guy did he shoot the cops or what? You see the video, you go, no, they they killed them for yeah, oh, that's horrible. You know, the, yeah. you know, there's no, you know, they, they killed them for no reason. So, um, so so the, always and always the best thing to always look at is you know after you wait a couple of days is to kind of see what other people in the same profession are, are how they're reacting. So when you actually yeah, start yeah. seeing other law enforcement um, reacting negatively and saying that it's bad, that means all right, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, that, that this guy was unjust. He was a bully cop of some, for some reason, and it it just it went sideways. You know, and, and I mean, I just learned today that you know one of the th other three cops um, that are now being charged, one of them was like brand new on the force. I think like a couple days. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a young guy that was just there, didn't know, just kind of following the lead of his seniors, and his life just got ruined. Uh, mm -hmm. as well i mean it's just man anytime something goes sideways in life it's it's it impacts so many lives and it's so horrible and, and horrendous um but um, and i see lots of you know i see i always see positive things though like like my community here uh in virginia 
our law enforcement is really, really good and really, really close to people. And so we've had lots of protests uh, downtown close to where I live here. And um, the first day or two, they got out, out of hand a little bit and you know, had some guy smashed a, a window, a car of a family. And the other protesters got on them for it, and and the cops did too. And then the next day, you know, the the chief of police was, you know, said, "Hey, we are actually here for your protection. Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to march with you. We're going to do this. We're going to do this." You know, so it's actually, you know, the so most in most places, and this is what the news doesn't cover. And actually, believe it or not, in most places in the United States right now, the cops are marching with the people being part of them, communicating with them, being part of the, the community with them and saying, you know, and that's what they're looking for, you know, and so that's what that, but the majority of things are that way, you know, but the news cycle likes picking up on the one or two that are going, you nuts. know, you know, good, good, good news doesn't sell. So yeah, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> so what, 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 one of the most important things, you know, we should all remember is, you know, if you see all these bad, you know, people doing terrible things on the news, we always have to remember that at least as many good people, Many, you know, many more. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, you've always got to remember for every bad person, you know, you know there is at least one equally good person, and that's, yeah. you know, it's quite a pleasant thing to, you well, know, live, to it, know. live through it. Live, live it in the FBI. I mean, <laughs> the FBI has been raked over the coals, you know, with with our executives we had, you know, in the last bunch of years, and yet, you know, and I, I do admire and appreciate, you know, when when the people in the press, you know, at least report it, saying uh, this does not represent all the people in the FBI. It does not re- represent yeah. the guys like me that you know were on the street actually still doing and abiding by the law and the Constitution every day. Um, yeah. So, because yeah, there's you know, people will do stupid things in every walk of life, and mm-hmm. you know, you don't hold institutions, you know, you know ransom for the one or two morons that that do wrong things there's a lot of really good and that's the thing to always remember there's a lot a lot of really really good people in the world trying to yeah. do the right thing all the Absolute, time absolutely yeah. so um anyway i've had enough i've had enough of this uh political talk it gets dark yeah me too gets, i've never talked about this as much either so uh it gets, you got a lot depress- out i guess the press i guess so what um what what hells do you have many mountains uh close to you for for hiking yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I live pretty much at sea level here. I'm about 85 feet um, <laughs> on, uh, towards the coast of, coast of Virginia. But we got the Shenandoah Valley um, and uh, we got decent mountains. I got hills around me. Um, you kind of point you out my back window a little bit there. So I got my lighting system so you can't see through that. But that's my pool in the back. Uh, it's nice. I got a nice little neighborhood here. Virginia is a very great place to live. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we do the hiking, and uh, so we go camping a lot. We just came back this week, and but our camping is not the type of uh, hardcore camping. We do the glamping. I have a nice big travel trailer my wife and I take, and we <laughs> go soft. So the campgrounds finally opened up here in the United States and most of the places um, because of COVID, so that's nice. Do you have any uh, any any animals to attack you? This is one of the things I like about you. There's nothing that kills you. Um, just the mountains. There probably are, you know, uh, Virginia. We got some snakes that aren't so happy and friendly, but you generally don't see them anywhere. Um, okay, it's you know, the heck out of me. I'm not a snake guy. Yeah, no, I'm terrified of snakes as well. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. talking about it, it makes spiders me and snakes. And... <laughs> oh, the, um... the island I'm originally from, over on the west coast of Scotland, has a, a native population of vipers, which are uh, mm. the viper family related to rattlesnakes. Um, and they look exa- almost identical to a rattlesnake. They've got like the the heat pits in the nose because they're they're from that family, wow. and they are venomous. And uh, a few years ago, probably about fifteen years ago now, 
there's a there, just because we're talking camping. There's a big campground in a place called Glen Rosa, and obviously in the summer season it's absolutely hoaching with tourists. Hoaching just means full. Sorry, going Scottish there. Right. Hoaching. Hoaching. Absolutely hoaching with tourists. I realised as I said that. So it was, it was really full of tourists, Robin. And uh, this, this, uh, they'd seen that in the summertime, they, they come out and bask. They sit up on the rocks, the snakes, not the tourists. And, uh, <laughs> this, uh, this English guy came along and he'd seen the snakes and had picked them up for a photo and then got bit by them and obviously had to get rushed to hospital for like anti-venom and everything. And he was quoted in the paper as saying, I don't think anything Scottish in Scotland was dangerous. <laughs> he literally just picked up like two vipers, two rattlesnakes, essentially. Like, hey, get a photo, quick, take a photo. And bit his arm, bit his face, bit his neck. And then obviously got rushed away and everyone, and it was on the paper like, oh, there's actual, like, and we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's, the, you know, there's wow. that. <laughs> Actually, you know, I don't generally judge others, but I kind of term him as a moron. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Right there. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm uh, hopefully going to go and do a... Uh, so, in Scotland, Munro's uh, our, our mountains, anything over a thousand, a thousand metres. So, we've been locked down since March. So, hopefully, I'll get to go and do a... I'll check the weather and maybe go climb a, a little mountain tomorrow morning four o'clock in the morning get up there for for uh, nice you know before anybody else nice so you know and, and i found this um pretty interesting is i've done a couple podcasts with other you know people around the world um it's like my book was uh, released in poland so i've been doing a lot of interviews uh, with poland and stuff what i found has been very unifying during this entire thing is we're all locked down together <laughs> we've all <laughs> like all of us experienced this new norm of all right, right. we got to learn how to live life virtually and as an extrovert that thrives on human interaction this has been a, an interesting time for me um and so it's it's you know and that's it's been a i always i love looking at the positive sides of things and yeah, man. i, I see i see you know you know to your point earlier chris you know i see this generation having its defining moment you know, during this, you know, the, the amount of self-discipline, I think it takes someone that that's young, like my, my kids to self study and get through college or even high school right now, you know, at home in that kind of environment, that's, that's, I couldn't do it. I, w- I would quit. <laughs> I mean, just like, you gotta be kidding me. I can't do that. You know, my, my literally, cause they're teaching themselves everything. Mm. And that's crazy. That's amazing. Um, it's, and it's, it's also a very, you know, to be a teenager now, you know, if you think about all these social media things and all these, you know, there's more attention on them now. It must be real, real difficult to be, you know, a teenager or a young adult now. You know, there just seems to be way more focus on, you know, social media and, and, and you know, appearances and, and all these things. You know, it's a lot of pressure for, for a young person. It, and it's fascinating, too, because... Um... It's not just the social media aspect, but, you know, how to run your life virtually. You know, like yeah. my son is getting orders and, you know, he's he's in nonstop communication with his chain of command. You know, they're doing everything online. I have no idea what's going on. You know, it's all on. He, literally, he's living off his cell phone, you know, from from all his commands at the Naval Academy, you know, setting things up, getting back there, restructuring. I mean, it, 
I'm dumbfounded by the amount that they're able to do and that um, our, our our young generation is able to adapt to um, pretty stinking rapidly. I, it's actually mm. kind of – I was more I – I couldn't believe how fast and easy it was for both my kids to actually transition to learning online. Mm. That blew my mind. That literally blew my mind. It literally took them about a week to two for – it was because my daughter was at George Mason University. My son's at the Naval Academy, and I know all the universities across the world did exactly the same thing. And for this generation to be able to set up and move online that fast, I was like, holy cow. I, 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 that blew my mind. Now, do you, do, you, um, do you insist to the kids, do you insist that you know, they have to have some time off the phone do you say you know you have to put that away sometime and just go for a hike or go play basketball what, do you insist what, on doing that when they were wee and younger i could <laughs> <laughs> my, daughter does, my daughter does not live at home anymore and uh and my son he's 20 he's gonna do what he wants to do but he's but because he's in the military he's got to maintain his, his athleticism anyway so um but here's what i was really um very proud of him for it's like when this whole thing happened and we all went in lockdown um you know, he was kind of oblivious to what the rules are and i remember he was about to hop in his car and go visit some friends at the beginning of this and i go kevin you're not going anywhere and he goes well why not and he goes because we're in freaking quarantine and he goes what and, and i said and he goes and he was really good he goes just tell me the, what the rules are and we told him i said here's what the rules are and he goes okay i'm good and he was just that compliant. I, I just couldn't believe it. And he is actually, he's been nowhere, that poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> just didn't feel long lockdown. Yeah, but it's, it's, been, uh, it's good been crazy. And as you say, it's, it's impacted everyone. It's not just a, it's not a Scottish thing. It's not a British thing. It's not just an American thing. You know, it's a. Uh, all oh, been through it yeah i mean i've done podcasts in south africa um to poland to to you all i mean and everyone is exactly the same it's uh it's kind of it's kind of it does bring it together i think because you know anytime you have shared suffering with someone it's a bonding moment and i think mm -hmm. again you, you put the government and politics aside you know human beings as, as a race right now that we've all been through this together um yeah. it's that's a bonding thing it's a gen it's, it, yeah it's it's amazing yeah, I joked when it all first was kind of lockdown first started in Scotland and everything was getting very tense. I joked that we're living through a future six-part Netflix documentary. <laughs> you know, in like 10 years. Yeah, a six-part documentary on Netflix it, talking about how we survived lockdown. Yeah. So thing i joked about was the fact so my daughter is now a nurse and uh her specialty is labor and delivery and she just guaranteed herself a job for nine months at least <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true that's true yeah, that is true <laughs> a very very big spike wow. yeah you, um, what do what, what do you make of the you know the chinese you know if you look at their numbers and stuff for covid do you do you, do you look at those numbers and knowing some stuff about intelligence you know or, or you know any of this stuff do you look at those numbers and go Mm. So um, yeah, China. China is all about taking. China is all about China. Is the best way to put it. China, you will do anything to promote and support China. Um, I got a very good friend, a retired CIA case officer, uh, Dan Hoffman's his name. Uh, we partnered together on an article on China, and you know we reference you know uh, Reagan's great phrase, "Trust but verify." You know we need to be we need to be in our partner with China on many things. Uh, economically, but at the same time, though, China will always act in their own best interest according to what they think that is. And um, and I think COVID is definitely a huge part of that. And 
So and I think intel, intelligence organizations really need to, I, they need to do a much deeper dive um, with them with the best capabilities they have to figure out truth because we definitely did not have transparency and truth with what was going on with them, no doubt. Mm. Yeah, seems, seems that way, huh? Yeah, and yeah. It, it definitely, you know, the good, the good thing is that they, you know, they saw, you know, still all the evidence is that it was not manufactured. Um, yeah. But, but intentional or unintentional release and all that, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, when you look at the impact, it makes you question, huh? <laughs> There's the, yeah. had a, such a massive worldwide impact on economics, and and it was it was it's. I'll tell you what, this is this is one for the history books. I mean, to live through this uh, and kind of see the impact. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. it's, it's an experience. And, and like I was saying earlier, we you know everybody was reacting instantly about all these wild conspiracy theories. And, you know, until we're a year, five years, ten years down the yeah. line, we won't really know what went on, why went on, you know, why yep. what happened, you know takes a long time for it all the, the it does to be shown um that's why i'm so, a big yeah. believer in you know don't try to look at the whole world you know just you know keep within your sphere of influence of the people in your lives i i, I got wrapped up into trying to save the world after 9 11 and it creates a very crazy mindset of you know not feeling like you're doing enough every day to do something better and you get really overworked over over everything ptsd all that and so as soon as you start realizing that, you know, all you can do is control your little sphere of influence around you, um, affect that the best you can, create those relationships and let the rest fall. Um, it's good. <laughs> fall into yeah. place, not fall around you, just fall into place. Yeah, fall into place. It's very, very stoic philosophy that, by this, you know, sort of control the controllables and the uncontrollables, you just have to let. Funny let you mention that. So, yeah, I, I am definitely, I, I, coined that phrase in the book it's called stempathy you know it's a combination of a stoicism a very cause and effect of human behavior which i love because it keeps a very calm brain and calm mind it keeps very rational thought going but at the same time though in order to interact very productively with other human beings you need massive empathy understanding how they see the world through their perspective and so that's what my whole process is it's stempathy it's a combination of the stoicism a cause and effect but understanding human beings with great uh, compassion um but also you know part of that is the objectivity of being a stoic is not getting emotionally hijacked by someone else's choices. You know, understanding that those are their choices, and because if you start riding their emotional roller coaster with them, you'll do no good for them because you're on their ride, and not your own. Yeah, I love that. I love that combination of the thought of stoicism with empathy. Yes, yeah. probably, probably, if you could get anything close to an ideal, is certainly heading towards that, isn't it? Because if yeah. if you're yeah. too stoic. People, are, I would imagine, if you're if you're at the extreme end of it, you're going to come across as cold and aloof, and as you've been sort of referring to throughout, Robin, with the the four stages, you're not really going to build that because you've got too many. Right. You're not getting involved in anything, so you can't right. build the relationships. Whereas if you're too empathetic, you start reacting, and you, as you said, you know, you worry about fixing everything, and you just can't. Right. And you burn out, you fall down. We only have a very short uh, window of time <laughs> on on this earth. There's yeah. only so much you can. There's only so much you can do. Yeah, yeah. That's why I I I do love trying to combine them together, trying to keep rational, um, so you can be a resource for others at the same time. Though understanding them at that deep level, it's to me it's everything, because that's what creates relationships, and relationships are the bedrock for everything in life. Absolutely cool. 
Um, what, uh, how, how, uh, how are we doing for time, Ali? I've we got, have um... done over a hundred minutes. We yeah, I'm, I'm, about, I'm about toasted, man. <laughs> yeah, again, that point. I think that was yeah. a good point to end on as well, though. Yeah, it was definitely. Just before yeah. we wrap up, we always go. If people are looking for you on social media, I want to know more about your getting content. How do they? How will they find you, Robin? You're absolutely the best place to go is uh, my website, which is peopleformula.com. All one word, peopleformula.com. I call it the uh, the online campus. I have online courses. Uh, I got podcasts. As soon as you guys come out with this one, I'll add you all to my podcast list on there. Um, you got links to my videos on YouTube. Um, and by all means, you can reach directly out to me. Believe it or not, I'm one of the most responsive people. Um, that you can get to as long as you don't get buried in my email. I'll, I'll email you back. Um, find me on LinkedIn. I'm on there, Twitter. But basically all I put out on social media is basically rebroadcasting uh, podcasts and other things I do like this. Um, so by all means, reach out. Cool. And uh, I, I, I love scaling up. You can have all the free stuff like the podcast, but please, by all means, pay for my online courses and I'll be very grateful. <laughs> As I say, your two books, I'm, I'm reading through um, Signing People Up, Code of Trust on the next on the list. So it's been interesting. Um, to speak the actual Thank you. Thank you. I'm on the other side, but I, I I love the idea of reading books. I cannot, I just can't get my brain to work to read books. But I love watching documentaries. I could watch documentaries. So all, all my night. books, my books are read by me. So if you want Death by Robin, you can get the audio book, and it is by me. So I there will, you go. I will, I, I will do that. I will do that, and I will listen to it when I'm driving about my lorry. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's been. Thank you very much for your time, Robin. It's it's been super interesting for us. Super cool for us. Um, if we are uh, still going in six months or a year's time, we might ask you to if you want to if you want to jump back on and talk more about your hobbies. Um, Guys, I will always come on with you all. You reach out anytime. I totally enjoy chatting with you, and we talked about more about stuff I've never talked with anyone before either. I mean, and you got me talking non-political politics. So we'll end it with with also understanding that I do not favor one side or the other because as soon as you take a side, half the world will line up, up against you. I'm all about just understanding what you're witnessing. <laughs> so just just sending out virtual hugs. Yeah, virtual hugs. There you go. Virtual hugs for everyone. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Rob. I'll stop the recording now, but absolutely brilliant. Episode 19, done and dusted. Thanks very much, Rob and Dreek. All right, guys.